Hello, and welcome to On Record In Conversation. I'm Jess Collins from the Birmingham Music Archive. In this podcast series, recorded in front of a live studio audience, we explore the vibrant and diverse music history, heritage and culture of Birmingham through the stories of some of those who have shaped and continue to influence the city's musical landscape. In this episode, Satnam Rana talks to the award-winning musician Parv Kaur, who set up her own doll drumming classes which attracted students from across the Midlands. These classes evolved into Eternal Tile, a team of drummers that now perform on the biggest stages in the world. Satnam asked Parv how she has succeeded in the male-dominated world of Bangra. Hello. Hi, Satnam. You OK? Yeah. So for anybody listening who's not familiar with Parv, well, what can I say? I have watched Parv flourish and grow over the last decade or so here in Birmingham and the West Midlands. She is a mighty force. Often, people say the daughter of a famous legendary singer, Balbir Singh, who was the lead for a Bhangra band that we all know from the Punjabi community called the Bajanga Group. But I feel, Pav, that you are just famous in your own right, because you have set up what is every feminist's dream if they're in music, and that is an all-female doll group, Eternal Dal. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really looking forward to finding out more about you because actually when we've met each other, it's usually fleeting visits, isn't it? So can I start from the beginning? Where were you born? Smethwick, Smethwick girl, Brummie girl. Um, Grew up in Smethwick, went to school in Smethwick, walked to school in Smethwick, did everything that a kid would do in Smethwick, you know, go into the park, uh, go on my bike. I used to ride around Smethwick all the time. Used to meet up friends. Um, Smethwick was a, a really nice hub to grow up in, you know. I think, one, because everybody knew my dad. Um, and two, is because my mom um, worked in a the foundry there and all the housewives, so, so to speak, used to meet up in the park um, while dropping off the kids. So the network of a family wasn't just internal, it was external. And Smethwick did actually make me as a person. So I was going to ask you about your family then. It feels like it's probably the whole Smebic and not just... It is. <laughs> but but who, who is your family? We know about your dad, Will Singh, I, I mentioned, but and you've just spoken about your mum's siblings. Yes, I've got an older sister uh, who's married in Derby and I've got an older brother and a younger brother. Uh, the youngest works for Disneyland Paris and um, one in America, so he's flourishing in his own right. And my older brother's in computer science. Right. So actually a bit of a mixture here then going on in the family. You've got creative and then you've got... Then um... you've got me. (laughs) (laughs) I think they all, I think they all have a love for music, but they didn't realise I really had the love for music. They thought I, I I was the black sheep of the family. I was very, I was very rebellious. I was you know, I was used to just go out on my bike and I used to turn up till eight o'clock because the signal were the um, street lamps. Once those goes off, oh my gosh, that was the signal that I am in trouble. So I was always just going out and being part of who I am, you know, being uh, quite friendly with the neighbours and the community. But my siblings weren't. They weren't. Nothing like me. So how would you describe yourself then as a young girl? Uh, very tomboyish, um, very well known. It was always the girl on the bike. I used to throw sweets at the neighbours when I used to go past. I was like, oh, spare sweet here. I used to throw it at them. And I think they just knew me as the one who lived by Bearwood Nursing Home 
And there was an alley at the back of Baywood Nursing Home that nobody knew about and I told everybody about. <laughs> it was a secret kind of passageway where nobody knew. And I think the way that people perceived me, they thought I was someone, you know. And I wasn't even into music then. I was just, just a normal Smithic girl. I'm noticing a huge difference between the way I was brought up in a Punjabi family, which was, yeah, we also played in the alleyway, but there was always a bit of reluctance about, you know, heading out on your bikes on your own and hanging out in front of your house for no reason. There'd always be like a little bit twitchy mum and dad about doing that. Not yours, obviously, then. Obviously, they were, but I didn't listen. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you can't go out at this time. I'm like, yeah, but my friends only come out at this time. And by the time they were speaking, I was already on my bike. I wasn't walking. They couldn't chase me. I mean, my mum's chapel, her slippers was like boomerangs. They would catch me wherever it was. <laughs> but because I was so fast on my bike and they just knew that, they knew something was different about me, but they couldn't quite put their finger on it. And uh, was music part of the equation at this nope. point? How old are we talking about? So we're talking what, uh, eight, nine? Okay, so really relatively Yeah, so young. it's kind of primary school um that's quite young to be going on a bike and being left alone and those but I'm talking about 30 35 years ago whatever but I don't think they were scared they were like yeah she'll look after herself she knows she knows the signal um she knows when to come home I just thought maybe they trusted me in a weird way because no other girls were out at that time a lot of non-Asian people were out but not Indian girls or even lads so you were already breaking the mould, already breaking kind the mould. Kind of, yeah, without knowing it. Paving the way for what was going to come years later. Do you think Probably. there was some sort of protection um, because your dad was well-known and famous, so it was like, oh, that's Bobby Singh's daughter, so actually if she did mess up, then we know who he is and yeah. to go back to him. I think every shopkeeper, the pubs, people who sat, because most people sat outside them days, um, everybody knew who I was. And most of the time when dad used to walk us to school or even go to the shop or go pick up the, the Indian newspaper, which you could only get from a corner shop. There's I used this. To, yeah, there's yeah. this, that's <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I used to go with him. Yeah. He'd be walking, I'd be on my bike. Me and dad always had this friendship relationship. Not so much with my mom. I think mom had a checklist of no one's going to marry her. No one's going to take her seriously. She can't even make chapatis. I honestly couldn't cook or clean or do, that, do anything that she ever said. But I did what my dad said. If he had said, uh, darling, come on, let's, let's eat dinner together and watch TV together and watch our Indian dramas, even though I hated it, I would. So you had that special bond with him? Yeah. What was it like being the daughter of a famous dad? Because he is big in British Asian circles and But beauties. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I thought coming around the house and... Uh, having dinners and and singing was the norm so everybody used to come and rehearse at dad's house mom used to make you know chapatis and and curries for everybody that was there it's just a normal thing that we would have guests but they weren't guests they were musicians they were artists from abroad they were journalists they were people that would write about him i didn't know that i was like whoa this is so cool i used to sit right in the middle eating my crisps making all the noise dad used to go come on put them away put them away you're too loud i used to just sit in that area at the back and just be part of that journey without even knowing who he was. What was it like having a house full of, effectively, strangers all the time? And jamming sessions, I'm guessing. But the thing is, Satnam, Dad used to sing as soon as he used to get up. He used to sing to the bathroom, sing going down the stairs. You'd hear him singing while he's making dinner or eating dinner. So for me, it was just 
he's rehearsing his voice or he's practicing or he loves singing like how I would probably watch TV and, and what I want to do. I just thought it was normal. So when people used to come and sing with him or bring an instrument with him, I thought it was wow cool. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And they used to leave everything there. So I got to play. Those were my toys. And that's what I was asking. So did you? Did yeah, you I could play everything. And... Harmonium, tolki, tabla, the, the, the tumbi, the string instruments, um, piano, keyboard. I can, I can play all of it because um, it was in my house. Was it just by sight or did you actually do just, lessons? Just by listening. No, just by listening. Wow. So I knew what, what dad would sing. I knew his songs. Um, someone would go and follow him with the piano or the keyboard. And I used to just pick up the string instrument or the doll key and the doll. And I just knew what beat to play. So there was something naturally instinctive in you to really explore the musical journey that would start a few years later. It was about 10, wasn't it? When yeah, so I was, I was only coming into secondary school. I had no intention of doing music. I didn't know music was a part of my life. I didn't even know who dad was. And there's not one point where my dad says, oh, we've got a bit of a band member here. He never pushed me into it. He never forced me into it. And he, we never had that conversation. Never. That's kind of a bit bonkers, isn't it? Because he can Mad. see his daughter playing all these instruments, Mad. taking part. And I didn't not. even actually push on it. I just thought, oh, this is like a toy. I didn't have toys in those days. I didn't only had my bike, but I didn't have toys like how everybody else has toys now. Those were my toys. I never asked for anything. I was well, well chuffed that coming after school, I would be in that room full of instruments. I was well chuffed. It sounds very joyful. Yeah, it was, but I didn't know anything different. All my siblings, my sister was in her books. She's a, she was an A-grade student. Um, my older brother was always ill, so we had a bit of a tough time uh, growing up. And, and, my, and my younger one was just being a child. The baby of the family. Yeah, the baby. Got yeah. everything he wanted. But we're talking six years after that, where he was born. But I didn't take notice of him, to be fair. Well, you don't do when they're young. No, no, younger brothers. Because like, yeah. he, he actually, I think that's probably why I'm in this position, because he got all the attention. As a boy? As a boy. Interesting. I'm going to come back and explore that. What about family life now then? How do you balance um, family life? What is family life Easy. Like? Family life is easy. Um, uh, my parents live in Smethwick. I got married in Coventry. Got a daughter who's four years old. And it's easy. It's fine. Motherhood, very easy. I'm quite natural, I suppose. I think because my mom was very hands-on, but in a very firm, direct way. I'm the complete opposite. I wouldn't care if she weed on the floor or poo on the windows. I don't... <laughs> my, my approach would be totally different to my mom's because I found my mom's approach quite difficult to handle because my dad was totally opposite. So you've got more of your dad in you than yeah. Than, I would have thought I would have thought my dad would have put the whole strain of being an Indian woman than my mother, but my mom was so strict. It's unbelievable. I think out of fear, thinking I'm going on the wrong path. Yeah. yeah. But her husband was he was like the Elvis, you know. But I don't know how that could have put her in fear of bringing me up. Well, do you think there could have been a little bit of your mum realizing? the implications of having a musician husband it takes you away from the family for time you know at unsociable hours the hours taken up for rehearsing etc she could see that perhaps it impacted and she had a fear of it would impact your family in the same way yeah I, I suppose she might have had that fear but I didn't care the more she was saying it the more I was rebelling against it because the more she was saying that this is the way of life 
the more I was thinking, well, he's having a great time. I want to be like him. <laughs> not, not like you, mum. <laughs> I don't want to be in the kitchen. I want to be like him. But I couldn't understand why she would want to put that on me at such a young age. And even till this day, 30 years on, I still get questioned. I can relate to this. We, we know we come from Punjabi families and my mum is a retired sister. So she was in nursing for 44 years and she still will say things like, but can you pick him up from school? You know, what about your husband, Andy? What about him? Can you be home for him? I'm thinking, oh, life moves on. We're, we're, we're modern women. Perhaps some of it is from their own insecurities and not because they haven't done it. So they fear for you because they can't quite relate to your lived experience. Yeah, but their lived experience was getting married at 17 and meeting my dad at the airport for the first time and then living for him. And, and, I, and I couldn't understand how that would ever be related to me because I was born in England. I was pretty much free to do what I wanted. Yeah, I, I studied a little bit, you know, I studied what I wanted to do, but I was... It wasn't how she thought it would have been. And I don't think she still understands that concept even 30 years on. And that's something that I find difficult in all of this, is how she still thinks that this is not really the way of life in her eyes. How do you, how do you bring peace to yourself? Is it just an acceptance? Because my dad still sings. He's 70. He does more gigs than me. I have to ask him when he's free. My dad, can you come into my interview tonight with Satnam Rana? And he's like, no, I've got things to do. I'm like, <laughs> where are you going? So, um, yeah, he, he still sings and he's still a pop star and he still gets autographs on the way down to Smethwick when he picks up his newspaper still. So I, I think that um, that brings me comfort. If he, if he says, Pav, that's it now, I think your time's done, I would stop. He's never going to say that. He would never say that. He's never, he himself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> so absolutely. Right. Yeah. You, you know, you touched a little bit upon, and, and I think I, I could sit here and talk to you for ages about the whole mum-daughter relationship. You know, we, we could go on and on about that because there's intergenerational traumas, there's intergenerational um, disconnect, so much that you can unwrap around it. But um, you touched upon education and you said, um, you know, your sister grade A student you did a bit of studying what was school like for you then I think um, going into secondary school and picking my options I had to pick up the easy ones so the textiles was easy geography was easy I was like I know where (laughs) India is and I know where America is so I picked the easy option and one of them was music and I thought oh this is going to be easy I can play all the instruments I'll be all right I was working it out I was like that's three GCSEs can I do all right in maths I hate maths okay that's going to be a no so I was kind of like planning my life at the age of getting my options but not realizing that I would actually go all the way with my education, even to master's level. Can't believe it myself, I know. I know you're shocked, but I'm totally shocked. Well, because, <laughs> because, because here, here you are setting up yourself as a young girl who wasn't interested in studying and then no you've way. seen it all the way through. I had no interest. I was, I was more about um, friends. I was more about how to make money. So I used to um, sell sweets. So I used to buy them bulk from a cash and carry and I used to sell it in the playground. I used to make about 20 pence profit. I was, I was more about hustling, really. I think I would, wanted to make a way of living. And I think that's why going to year nine and year 10, I joined um, the strawberry factories. We used to, used to go on a weekend, yeah, five oh, in gosh, the morning. Yes, 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 I used yes. to make about five, 10 quid. I was well happy. I used to get new tires <laughs> for my bike, a nice le- le- you know, leather jacket when I used to drive around. I really wasn't interested in what was going on in the real world. I was more about 
how can I make bigger things from little things? Okay, so where did music fit into all this then? You said you took music and yeah. you, you, you were playing the instruments at home, but I take it you then took on some Western instruments as well? Yeah, so the music teacher who was Mrs. Williams, she was the one that actually brought me on to path of where my life should be and that was music so when she knew who my dad was she already knew who I was which was really nice and I had no interest in what she was saying about my GCSEs she's like I really want you to do a piece on your dad's song and I want to mix it into this music and this composition I'm going to do it all for you and I had no interest in it whatsoever I was I'm just going to play a doll or maybe piece she's like no do it this way and because of that path and the rehearsals that went behind it, I grew more and more into, oh, this is actually, I actually love this. So I was learning how to write music, how to read music. I was composing music. This is at year nine level. She taught me how to play westernized sounds with a fusion of Indian music. We even remixed dad's old music. So she was kind of not just the teacher, she was the guide of uh, where my path was because I wasn't getting that at home. It was, yeah, she loves it. Yeah, she's playing with the toys. But it wasn't, no, oh, she's got something. She can play six instruments, guys. It wasn't like that. But when I went to school, Mrs. Williams, she's the one who put me on the path. She's like, this is, this is for you. And I was like, is it? Oh, God, it is. And then the penny dropped. And Mrs. Williams, is she still around? You know, I tried to get in touch, but she left. She left about 10, 12 years ago from the school. Tried to find her on Facebook. Tried to get her to my interviews. But I can't find her. What a shame. I, sh- I think yeah. she would absolutely be balled over with the yeah, success that has followed. I would give her the hug. What about your friends then? Were they encouraging at school? Did they? Sort yeah, of- they were amazing. You know, I had a few Asian friends. Mostly were all uh, non-Asian, simply because of the music class. There was no Indian girls, Asian girls on the music class. It was all non-Asians. A few lads, uh, Indian lads, but all of them were non-Asian. So I had my own music group because I had to rehearse with them for Christmas concert, Easter concert, Vasaki concerts. So they used to put me on the drum. Like, oh, Pav's good. Put her on the piano. Oh, Pav, are you free? Put her on the keyboard. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anything to get out of class. Are we going lunchtime or in class? <laughs> Take me out of maths. Take me out of maths. So I was well chuffed. I was like the, the groupie that could play all the instruments. I was like, you know, when you get picked from a football team, I was the first one. I was Brilliant. like, this is well cool. This is well cool. And um, did you continue that learning outside school as well? Or was it just in school? Only at that time... Because of the GCSE level, my interest started to fall into the school because there was nothing, absolutely zero happening outside of school until dad had, um, had to fill a drummer and he, he couldn't find one. And guess what? He asked me. Yes. So I was gonna, that's what I was going to say. So when, when he said drummer, he's talking about the doll. The doll. So when did he become aware that actually the doll is my thing? I think... From that gig, because I was more into, you know, the keyboard, piano, the little things, you know, with less work. I was like, this is easy, like the tablet and the talkie. They're really, they're really nice to play with your hands. And I used to sit down all day with, you know, fizzy drinks. I used to be well chuffed. But I think with the doll, I think he, he was struggling on that one gig. And I was like, this is heavy, Dad. I mean, I'm not playing his. I'm just going to play mine. And mine was quite light, you know. It was like just one that we used to have around that we bought from India. And um, we had a massive Sikh symbol at the front. I don't Kanda. know if you're the Kanda. Kanda, yeah. It was quite in then. Um, and then we went to this gig. I had the shock of my life. Not one female to be seen. At uh, all? What do you mean in the all. audience? At all. Wow. So it was lads all over. But because the group, Bachungi group, are two brothers plus their sons are in the team, 
So it's a family group, mum, so the uncles, kids were in it. That group itself are all family. There was nobody from outside, really. So I felt right at home. I thought I was sitting in my living room. But looking out, I was like, oh, gosh. What was the response? They loved Dad. You know, they were throwing the toys out of, out yeah, of him. But, but to you, to you, to you. I think there was no eye contact. I was pretty much... Head down, yeah. uh, playing this doll. I mean, the tips were coming onto my drum, so I was well happy. I was well happy. <laughs> you know, pound coins or whatever it was back then, you know, the Scottish notes. I was well chuffed. It's thought, true. Scottish notes and Punjabis yeah, go together. It's like, it's like a 50 it's like when, when the one pound note went out of circulation in England, we were like, keep the Scottish ones. Yeah, please. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yo, am I keeping these or what? So it was kind of like head down, do my job, because I used to... Because it was the first time and we didn't rehearse. I used to rehearse. The rehearsals weren't rehearsals, really. I was playing in the living room. So this is a, like a big thing. But Dad was quite chilled about it. He didn't really put any pressure on me. He just gave me the look and the nod to say, you just messed up there. I want to sort you out later. Or you're playing on the wrong count. So I was kind of like, oh, God. I'm like, oh, got to get it right. Got it right. So it's so much pressure just to get it right for him. So I could maybe internally think he might take me again. And that's what happened. So that was your first gig? Yeah. Just like that? Just like Kind that. of not, not even orchestrated by chance? Just by chance because he used me. I tell him this all the time. He could not find a drummer that day. And he goes, oh, I've got this gig. Can you come? I was like... Phew. So if it wasn't for that, do you think you'd be where you are now? No, definitely not. Amazing. Because that was kind of the first smell of success. Like, whoa. You know, people throwing their ties were asking for me and in future, you know what I mean? I was like, whoa. <laughs> a gold, gold crown at me and you know, a gold shoe or something but I think because he was so popular we think we're talking 1995 peak of the Bhangra season yeah. live bands were like the biggest thing then DJs were mm, not so great so live singing and you've got a 10-man team with me at the front and the only musician that is allowed to be up front with the singer is always the door player yes door key drum kit keyboard guitar mm. are all have to be behind the monitors but the door player at the front and I thought jackpot jackpot door player is. were you wearing Indian clothes just no, no no just t-shirt he, that's the thing he never he never put any demands on me my mom went mad what time do you call this <laughs> she's got school in the morning she never does her homework now you're taking her to gigs I think that all came out because she knew this, this is not going to go down well and so from that moment, I mean, did you ever imagine that you would have such a huge global uh, and I guess UK impact, your music? Never. I always thought I'd be under my dad's wing and I never thought I'd actually branch out of Pachungi. I actually thought I was going around going, I'm Pachungi man, I'm Pachungi group man, <laughs> you know, to my friends, to my teachers. I was so proud of being part of them. I didn't realise that I would ever branch out from his wings and, and then... When I did, it was probably the worst day of my life. Why? Let's go into this. I think when I approached dad leaving school, so we've done all the GCSE, and I, I sat down with him, I says, dad, I, I don't want to go to college. I do want to go into music technology. It's not at A-levels. And I want to start my own company, my own band. And he was heartbroken. Totally. He's like, no way. There's no way. You have to be educated. You can't be like me doing 18 hours in a foundry and then coming back to do gigs just to make ends meet. You're going to have to get a degree. I'm sorry. I was like, what? I was shocked myself. I was like, what? And he said, no, you can't. You can't be a musician. You're going to have to study. So what happened? Oh, well, I lied, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> 
If you are a minor at home listening to this, please do listen to your parents. <laughs> but you, yeah, what, what just made out, you know, my sister was doing technology and my brother was doing technology and he was like, yeah, you're doing IT, IT, whatever they're doing. I was like, yeah, all right. Just, I applied, I can't remember where, where it was, Birmingham University. And when I went to the open day with my family, they were all wanting to make sure I had to enroll, of course. <laughs> the whole tribe came and... I saw a funding form on the table. So if your parents earned less than this, you would get a bursary of eight grand. And I just went, cha-ching! And I was like, <laughs> lottery! Money-making. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I'll enroll, no problem. So I enrolled onto this course. If I passed, I would get the bursary. And I used the bursary to fund my passion. So I bought drums, I bought uniforms. I bought, um, I even paid my friends to be part of the team because because I was on my own, I used to bribe them with money so they can come to my... Even though they could play really badly. It was just the numbers. Because I wanted to become this drummer. I wanted to become this star by myself without anybody knowing. But you were doing the, the, the degree at the same time? Yeah, I was doing at my college. I did my A-levels. I did my A-levels in accounts, business and IT in, in those two years. And then I went straight into IT in, in a degree. But I was still... I was doing still, the drumming on the side. Yeah, with As that, well as, but without them knowing. Yeah, because in college... It's mad. In it's college, like the loudest instrument in the whole wide world. No, because, have you kept it silent but from no, The secret was my drum gigs were at daytimers. I remember the once, sir, in Mass saying to me, where are all the children sat them? Is there a festival today? And I was like, no, sir, they've all gone to a daytimer. Let's just explain daytimer things. It's a nightclub, but from 9am till 5pm. And the dome... Yeah, at the Dome. Which is now the O2 Academy was yeah. the place too. So what I would do is convince the promoters at college to book me so I could get 20 quid. I used to hide my drum in one of the, my friend's bins, like down the road or like in the garage. I used to go on the bus, pick up the drum, uh, bus it to the daytime at nine till five, drop the drum off and come home as normal. Jackpot. Uh- Genius. And nobody knew. Nobody, nobody knew. knew. They just so did I not know. Money. Yeah. I was earning my money. It wasn't a great then, but I was, I was on stage drumming where students were raving. Sometimes there was hundreds yeah, of people. I, I've done news reports on them. I've just never <laughs> been in them. It's, it's an amazing feeling to do these gigs because I wasn't getting any gigs from anybody from my community. So when I used to approach them and say, look, I'm part of, I never used to say I'm Pachangi's daughter. I used to say, look, I play drums. Is it all right if I come onto your mela or your festival or your community event? And they just, it's a straight no. They wouldn't even look me in the eye. Because you're a woman? Yeah, my own. But the promoters for these daytimers, because they were owned by non-Asians, I was was in. So you knew how to play the game? Yes. And actually, that must have been really important for you to build your platform and your profile because, you know, let's be honest, the guys from back in the day, some of them are still going as well, aren't they? They are, but nobody would take me seriously. So I just kind of had to work around the obstacles of how do I get them to trust in my talent without me actually playing the doll? They need to do hear me first to believe in my talent. So I had to learn the gift of the gab. You know, I'm, I'm the drummer. You know, I've been playing here. But I had, no, I had no history. I had no gigs. So I had to build on that. I had to make that portfolio myself. So I used to carry the drum around every community centre and say, have you got a wedding or have you got an event that I can play for for free just so I've got my name? And I used to go to random weddings around Smethwick and play randomly on the street. And they used to give me 20, 30 quid tips. I mean, let's be honest, if you live in Smethwick, there's a wedding on every there's corner a, there's a in wedding. August, probably five on, <laughs> on average. 
So at what point then did you go from building the profile like that? And then I'm mean, take it this is the mid 90s now. Yeah, isn't this it? is like 97, 98. So you built your profile up like that, doing these freebies, and then you've set up Eternal Thal by bringing your friends in, or does that come later? I think on? Eternal Thal came later. So in about 97, 98, I just started to print out flyers from the local library. And then I used to walk by hand and post them indoors. And I said, if anybody wants to join a band, uh, a drumming band, we're going to start lessons in Asra Centre. So mm-hmm. It's like the, the main hub that was newly built then. I kind of, um, so basically my doctor was a Indian dancer. And in conversation when I used to, I don't know what I went for, probably, you know, adult or whatever. Um, so we were in conversation. I said, I really want to start up a group. But she's like, I really want to start up an Indian uh, dance group. So we so do it together. So she allowed me to do my drumming classes downstairs while she was upstairs doing her yoga Indian Bangra classes. Yoga Indian, and a doll downstairs. Yoga Indian Bangra Bollywood. And she gave me that haul for free. Her doctor, Paul. I'm still in touch with her, by the way. And does she still do the classes? Uh, no. No, she doesn't. So she stopped probably about three or four years into it. I, I carried on. And from there, Eternal Yeah, Thal and then it, from there, Eternal Thal was born. So I came to Birmingham in 2001. And pretty much soon after that, within the first couple of years, I got the Midlands Masala radio program on BBC WM. And I think that's probably around the time I started meeting you at festivals around yeah. the city when I was hosting and stuff. But by then, you, you, had, been, you had your setup by yeah, then. Yeah, so in 1999 was Eternal Thal. Mm-hmm. Even though there's one, probably one or two members, it took me about a good five or six years to get to a level where people took us seriously. And because the funding was a God's blessing, I was able to become a professional artist because by looks, we had the uniforms, we had the drums, we, I bought a car, I, I did my license, driving license, because my dad wouldn't drive me anywhere. So I b- already bought my car. I was already an artist before I even knew. In 19, I had everything set up. All I needed was someone to say, right, this gig's yours and this gig's yours. Because I wasn't getting the gigs, I was sitting on a gold mine and nobody was allowing me to flourish. But those gigs did come, didn't they? Yes, eventually. And they came because of your conviction? Yes. I didn't give up. You don't give up. I can I see didn't. you don't give up. I love a woman who doesn't give up. And they came because of your passion? Yeah, I mean, I was a good drummer. You know, I was learning. I was on stage with Dad quite a few times. It wasn't just a one-off. He did call me after that. And I was learning on the job. And I was actually, he was teaching me on the job. So when he knew what break to play, when he's going to start the verse, I already knew, but even that one finger, I knew exactly what he was going to do. So the artist in terms of stage was already inbuilt into me. All I needed to do is how do I get people to join my band so we can advertise it as a group? Because every time I went to a wedding, it was the same musicians, Mm -hmm. the same DJ, the same caterers, the same cameraman. I was getting sick of it. I was like, Dad, I'm sick of this. I'm going to do my own thing. And he was upset. But internally, I think he knew I would do well because I was promoting something that nobody else was doing. Nobody else was doing what I was doing. There was no role model. There's no one I could look up to. There's no female singers. There was no, no one to put their hand on my head. I was getting all the male artists doing it. But the blessings were not coming from a female. Nobody would look at me. They didn't think that I was good enough to be in that kind of level. How did you navigate the green room? Because I hate to say it, you know, I'm into weddings and I know there's not a green room as such, but I tell you what, there's always a load of rubbish going on around the edges. How did you navigate some of I, that? My, my focus was the stage. I was thinking, 
I'm on stage, I need to do what I'm here to do, and that is to entertain. And I, because, because I was, you know, I was so under dad's wing and so talented in terms of Pachangi group, they made me into the artist I am today because I didn't have lessons in a room. I went to a few, I tried to find a few lessons when dad was busy. I used to walk in, there used to be a 20 lads playing all at the same time, trying to drown me out. And I used to just look and walk straight back out. Mm. I was like, this ain't going to work for me. I'm going to have to figure this out myself. And I did. I just used my dad as much as I could. But like, dad, what did you play that? Dot? What, what beat was that? What, what's that note? And I think he knew what he was doing, but he didn't think I was actually serious about taking this forward because he thought I was at university doing IT. <laughs> <laughs> but IT, I bet you do, the IT hasn't left your, no, no, because I you're a lecturer, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually fell in love with my career. I thought this is, uh, well, the funny thing is, I don't know how God is doing this. He must have written this. I do believe that everything is written because in computer science or IT, they were teaching me how to create websites, create flyers. And I was doing all that for my team. I didn't have to pay anybody. So I was learning how to create flyers um, effectively. I created my own website. I did all my sound recordings and music recordings and remixes and learned how to DJ all at university because the funding was there and they were allowed me to use the facilities. So I didn't have to branch out. So it was all there for you, ready? Well, it was just the universe gives, doesn't it? Sometimes it was when you ask, it was there. So I didn't have to fork out or spend the money trying to find someone to help my team. I was the team, and you still combine both, don't you? You still lecture in computer yeah, science. Yeah, yeah, seventeen years now, lecturer in computer science um, and running eternal thought. I think as soon as I finished my degree. Um, they did say, if you want to go into teaching, you have to have a full-time job for three years. And I was like, oh, gosh, do I have to work full-time? So I did work full-time for three years. The gigs slowed down a little bit simply because of the commitment. But after three years of teaching, I went down to three days a week. So I haven't worked full-time in 17 years. So how do you balance it all out then, Eternal Dal? And, you know, you're gigging. I mean, you've just come back from London over the yeah. weekend. You're in the Queen's pageant uh, for the Jubilee pageant. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm dressed as a lecturer when I need to be in college and they do say to me oh I'm sure you was on tv but I'm like nah that wasn't me <laughs> that ain't me so I don't I don't tell anybody at work I, I keep it very professional I mean the managers know and stuff because of how draining it can be uh, but in terms of lecturing I'm in the classroom teaching computer science and then by night I'm a rock star and what about where does it, <laughs> I love it I'm a, I'm a rock star and what about four-year-old daughter and her mummy rock star? How do you, yeah, how do you, we, you balance it out? Yeah, easy. Because gigs are weekends and my parents are retired. So I've got six babysitters around Smethwick. I've got loads in Coventry. Babysitting ain't a problem. Uh, I always balance out the gigs with weekdays, you know, the school runs. Because I grew up not seeing my dad, my other siblings probably didn't, you know, get to know, not get to know my dad, but never saw him as much as me because his gigs was where I was. Yeah. So I don't think they ever saw him, but they all respect the fact that he was doing it for the 18-hour shifts at the foundry and the gigging life uh, to keep the family running. Do you think you, ever, you will ever be just eternal battle, or is that too much of a... I really want to go down that route. I feel as if that my time is coming, but I do love, I do love lecturing. Um, I love that part of my life where I can switch off from the drumming world. But then also, I love switching off from work and going running to the drumming world. So I've got kind of best of both worlds. Yeah, I hear you. And I love both. So, you know, you, you've painted this beautiful picture in Smethwick. For you, how has the city changed since your childhood? And if it has changed, in what way? Smethwick has always been Smethwick. I mean, I never ventured out of Smethwick. I'm going to be honest. I went on my bike 
probably down Bearwood and past towards Halzheim because I missed the bus once. Um, but in terms of the city itself, the community itself, it's still exactly the same. The same people are still owning those same key elements of the city where I am. And I think the community element of it and how people come together in the time of need, I think that spirit is still there. So even if I walk into a shop now, I mean, I go to this chemist, I don't know, I can't remember the name of it. It's always next to the Red Cow. It's the same chemist, same guy that owns it. And it's, it's nice to see that people who have the passion for something or want to do something and want to stay in that field, they will always stay in that field no matter what. If, even if it's someone who loves pharmacy or the Red Cow pub, I think the guy still owns it, the same guy who's been owning it for 30 years. So I think that spirit of my city is still there. And I think connecting people together is the best thing about our place. And what about the musical landscape? Because Pachungi, and there was a few Bangra groups, but in terms of singing groups and the music element, all the artists that have come out of Birmingham, it makes the city special and different. And obviously, you know, Path Core coming out of Birmingham is quite special of course. as well. Do you feel that there's enough credit for that and actually enough knowledge and acknowledgement of the fact that this city is home to some of the giants of British Bhangra? Unfortunately, not. Now, I'm not saying that this interview has taken 30 years, but these kind of interviews, even with my dad, should have happened 20, 25 years ago. But when I did mention the fact that even, I'm not going to mention no names, but even when I approached a Indian channel, which was quite new back then, I said, look, guys, I've got a slot at Glastonbury. Please let me do an interview. They weren't interested. They're like, who wants to go Glastonbury? I was like, Glastonbury Festival is the biggest festival in the world. People from all over the world come to this place and I've got a stage slot and you guys are not happy about that. So then I kind of knew that it's our own fault as well. If you do not bring a light, the talent from your own community, how is anybody around that circle ever going to take you serious? I've been raving about Eternal Tal for years. But if anybody, if, if your own community is not raving and shouting about their own community and how amazing things they've done for the community, and especially if I branched out from Pachungi, Pachungi were doing Asian weddings, Asian weddings, Asian weddings. I was doing community events, Glastonbury, Eden Project, BBC, Channel 4. I've met you a couple of times. I was doing things that nobody else was doing. Yeah, yeah, right. Because I wanted to put Bangra music, especially dad's music, uh, a little bit of his songs, and the fusion of Justin Bieber or Beyonce with Doll on a non-Asian platform. And that's why I was getting the bigger gigs, because they never heard of Bangra music in that light. But Asians have been doing it. My dad's been doing it since 1964. So I suppose there's a little bit of we take it for granted. Um, and I've always heard this from some of our other Asian Bangra groups in Birmingham, that Quite often when they go and fly out to Europe, the crowds are bigger, they know the songs, there's much more of an appreciation. So maybe it's a little bit of complacency because it's part of our everyday fabric and it's on your doorstep. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you think other people perceive us then as Brummies and our diversity? Very proud. You should see, Satnam, the last few days we've been doing the run-up to the Queen's Jubilee. Hundreds of people, thousands of people were running to the noise of the doll and the fact that we were playing Mundi at the Bachke, you know, those famous songs that are quite familiar to the non-Asian artists, like the songs that were in the top of the pops, especially we always put in our routines or songs that you have an Indian solo singer, but we have a, I don't know, a famous Justin Bieber backing track or a Dr. Dre backing track. People would, they were running at the stage 
Sanam, you wouldn't believe how many people were watching us. And that's only now I'm talking. But I've been doing that for years. Even at Glastonbury, I had 5,000 people doing Twist the Light Bulb and Pat the Dog because we were teaching, not only we were performing Bangra to them, we were teaching them moves that we would relate to. And 5,000 people are in that video that I've taken just doing Bangra Light Bulbs and shouting, hoi, hoi. And nobody, nobody turned around and said, we're not doing this. We're not taking part in this. They, everybody was so proud. And that's what makes us special. And you take that with you every time you go every and do time. those gigs. The passion is there. Just finally, I really want to ask you, when you pick up your tool and your, what do you call the sticks? Dagatili. Dagatili. Can you describe what happens to you inside? Because I know as a recipient of the beat of the tool, what happens to me? What happens to you? You play it. You wouldn't believe this, but those sticks I've had for 15 years, uh, they're like magic ones. And I dropped it. I dropped one of them on the Queen's pageant. And my best friend, one of my drummers, got out of line, danced and picked it up for me. And I actually thought, ins- I actually died inside. I actually was so upset walking, thinking my magic wand has slipped out of my hand. I had a spare one. And I was like, oh, it's gone now. I turned around and I realised she picked it up. And I, I kind of went mad at her. I was like, the cameras are on us. The Queen's watching. And you go and get out of line and pick up that goddamn stick. So I was saying it in a professional way, but in, in her heart, she thought, your 15 years is just dropped on the floor. You're never going to see it again. And that was the moment I think I felt that a part of me was going to be missing. When you play, I've got about five, six different doll drums. One is always in the car just in case somebody rings me on the way to work. You never know, I might have a gig later on. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> I know who to call if I fancy a party. Right, if I have a party, last minute. Asians are so last minute. I get calls at nine o'clock in the morning and I'm there at the gig yeah. at lunchtime from work. <laughs> so I always have a doll in my car. I've got one at home. I've got one at other people's houses. They're left in garages. So it's like part of my life where it takes me into a, another world. No one can take that away from you, that feeling. It's part of your life. You made a career out of it. You've done your 25, 30 years hard work. And the talent, I'm still, you know learning in terms of talent dad always you know gives me a few lessons here and there but no one can take that feeling away from me knowing that what you are doing as your career is what you love the most in your life and I've got us I sleep with one one stays in my room well long may the love affair with your doll continue (laughs) I hope your husband gets a look in here and there as well (laughs) no sorry just for me just you but you know that pulsating beat of the doll is something that is quite frankly part of our DNA as Punjabis and thank you for being so awesome with creating your all-female eternal doll group I just think that's ace and keep banging the drum for Birmingham definitely thank you so much thank you so much On Record, In Conversation is produced by Siobhan Stevenson for the Birmingham Music Archive and presented by Birmingham 2022 Festival with the generous support of Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. (laughs) 